Hi, my name is Emily Jeanette, and I teach because I believe in the power of influence. The role models I had in my life were teachers. They encouraged me, motivated me, and inspired me to want to become a teacher. And that's why I teach. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Brian. I'm a veteran teacher who has learned a lot over the years and created this podcast to try and motivate educators and very often try to motivate myself. I also wanted the series to present some possible strategies to help us improve in the classroom. The episode I chose for today is featuring a 2008 Georgia Teacher of the Year, Emily Jeanette. Now, despite having a long career in education myself and doing a podcast for educators, I've never been nominated nor selected as a teacher of the year at my school, much less the state. So when I get the chance to talk with one who has been selected, I'm really curious to see what works best for them. As you will see, Emily is a teacher who has a passion for making a difference in the lives of her students and fellow educators. On this program, Emily discusses her history about why she became a teacher and some strategies that have worked well for her classroom. Also, Emily offers some encouragement and insights to her fellow teachers who truly want to make a difference. Emily, welcome to our program. So you were a Teacher of the Year for Georgia in 2007, correct? Yes, the 2007-2008 school year. That is correct. Why did you become a teacher? I was in New York, and we were asked the question, all of the state teachers of the year, of why we teach. Why is it that we teach? And, you know, I've really thought about that over the past year a lot in presenting and speaking to other teachers and community members. And I really do believe in the power of influence, and I believe that I became a teacher because I had role models in my life that influenced me to give back to society. And I had teachers and that really loved learning and showed a passion for what they did. And that influenced me to want to do the same thing for other people. With that great <laughs> background in store, and what was it like the first year? Well, I have to tell you that I love Harry Wong's analogy of at the beginning of your first year of teaching, you feel like you can conquer the world and you're so excited in that energy and that passion. It quickly dies just for the nature of the job, but... I had that passion. I had that excitement from the beginning. And I can tell you that there were a lot of challenges that went along with that first year. What were some of the challenges that you had? And just having the perspective of when something happens, whether it be from transitioning from one activity to the next or really being able to read your children and know them well and how to handle situations that may escalate with behavior that probably was the biggest challenge for me is just having the perspective of what to do and proactive preparing for that. I think when you're a first-year teacher, it's the one profession out there that we're handed keys and expected to function like a veteran. And I didn't have those prior experiences that would aid me in, in diffusing some of the situations that occurred. Were you in a situation in the first year of teaching where you were like, I don't know if I want to do this or this isn't Very what I much want? so. As a matter of fact, the school that I was at, we had, unfortunately, we had a couple of lockdown experiences just because there were some things going on in the area around our school. And I just didn't know the procedures of that routine. And that was a safety issue. And then on top of that, 
I was teaching third grade and given a class. I had 32 kids on my roll and 29 showed up the first day. Mm. So for six weeks, we were overcrowded and I had 29 third graders. And that's an example of management and being able to facilitate instruction to kids that were struggling. And, And I teaching a majority minority high poverty school stakes are really high and many of my kids that came into my classroom were either academically behind or just had a lot of emotional and social issues going on outside of school that made it very difficult for me to balance and deal with so I will tell you that about six weeks into it I got married on a Saturday and started my teacher orientation that following Monday so it was a really hectic time for me but after about six to eight weeks into the job I was at a conference with some friends and said, gosh, there's something on my back. It really itches and could have sworn that it was ringworm. As a matter of fact, my parents were living in Europe at the time and called my mom, who is a nurse, and she said, well, you know, you need to go get some medicine to take care of that. Well, lo and behold, it was not ringworm. It was the shingles. Mm. <laughs> and I was told to her by the doctor that, you know, I needed to take some days off because stress is what causes shingles. And I'm thinking, I don't even have any leave built up. How could I take days off? And I tell you all of this because it was at that point I pretty much broke down and thought to myself, why am I doing this? <laughs> I was having yet another conversation with my mom and broke down pretty much and just said, you know, I don't think I can do this. And in lieu of the lockdowns and, and some of the other things that were going on, my mom had said, you know, I, I've never told you that, I I think you should quit at anything, but I will support you in this, but I have one question for you. And and I'm thinking, what one question is going to keep me from staying with this? And she said, have you asked for help? And I quickly defended myself by saying, Mom, I know what to do. I've been through school. I can handle this. I have three certifications in education, including special education. I should be able to do this. And she just said, well, If you can't help yourself, Emily, then you won't be able to help those children. Mm. And it really just sunk in. And literally, that I think that was like a Friday night that I'd come home after a long week. And that fall, walked across the hall to one of my colleagues and just basically said, I need help. And broke down. And and she gave me some chocolate, which, you know, that always cures it, at least momentarily. (laughs) And we just began a conversation and she said, why don't you look around my room, ask me questions? And I did. And then from there, I was pretty bold and went in the principal's office and said, listen, you know, I really need help. I would love to observe some teachers in action. And by December, I felt much better. Now, I, I wish I could say that my class was magically turned around and they were great. We did receive another teacher. So my numbers dropped down to about 24 students, which made a world of a difference in itself. But I really learned that, for me, the key to really being effective is you do have to build relationships with kids. Your environment that you build for them has got to be safe and warm and welcoming. And with that comes having a plan, really making sure that things are in order and in place and that kids know those expectations from the minute they walk in the door. Because a lot of them, at least in the areas that I've taught, they do not have set routines at home, and so their lives are chaotic. And so when they come into an environment, they can quickly 
<laughs> tell whether or not a teacher knows what they're doing. And I really think we as human beings can assess whether or not somebody really cares about what they're doing. So I guess that was a life lesson for me. And I'd love to say that every year after that was easy, but I tell you that what my mom said to me that night has stuck with me and really in telling kids, you know, that you can only get better and achieve something if you, one, believe in yourself and if you try. And there are going to be challenges there that are going to always be a challenge. If you don't put forth your best effort, you'll never know what possibilities could come out of that. And believe it or not, seven and eight-year-olds, they get it. (laughs) So at least I've had success with them. And it's pretty amazing because when you hear someone being a teacher of the year, people can easily think, oh, they're in an upper-income school environment or they just had an easy first year, but you experienced a lot of the common things that first-year teachers struggle with. One of the things you mentioned was about relationship with students. What did you do to uh, form that relationship to where they weren't running all over you, but at the same time they respected you? You know, I talked about other teachers having an influence on me, and I don't remember much about my early years as a student. I wish I could, but one of my teachers, my first-grade teacher, Miss Denny was her name, Every morning before we walked in the door, she greeted us and she would give us a hug and she would say something to the effect of, good morning, Emily. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're going to have a great day and I hope that you'll work with me so I can do my job and you can do yours. I remember there were times, you know, even as kids, I think we forget little kids. They're Like I said, they're human beings, and they wake up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes like we do. And what that taught me as a child was, wow, this is somebody from the beginning, from the first moment I walk in the door that has basically committed to me that they're going to do their best to work with me. That's one way to build relationships. And I really think that in this day and age with testing and accountability and knowing what I'm doing now and and working with recruiting teachers and retaining them, I think it's really important that we look at teaching. And I was listening to someone in leadership say that we set schools into looking like a business when schools really look more like a hospital and that Mm -hmm. we're practitioners and we're working with human beings and children, primarily students, that we want to be successful in the world we live in, not just successful in itself. And I think we've got to step back and realize the product that we're dealing with (laughs) isn't a formula that you can just, if you apply these strategies, it's going to work. There's so many emotional and social things that are going on that If we don't address first, we're never going to get them to succeed. So the relationship piece is very important to me and involving them in the process to where I'm looking at my curriculum and I've got lesson plans and units planned and a child or a student or students become very interested in a topic and we kind of deviate off of that topic. I'm taking a risk. I'm not staying on schedule, but I think the risk is well worth it when in the end I have children buying into learning because I've actively involved them in that process. I firmly believe in building those relationships with kids. That somehow gets lost these days where we're like all about test scores and the students, Mm -hmm. as you say, are products and we forget to build relationships. and, And if you get to know kids, that can help you not only in just how you perform in the classroom, but also your classroom management closing the achievement gap. We hear it over and over and over again. And we've got several systems in place that are working to make that happen. But I think one area that, and I know here in the state of Georgia, we've got a system called School Keys. And one of the components is stakeholder engagement and involving the community. What can we do? Because we know that while the teacher is responsible 
we can't be solely responsible for educating a child. And that means going everything from really looking at, you know, that early childhood development, parent involvement, educating parents to involving the local businesses in the process. As I look at that, our number one stakeholders are our students. And I think we forget, especially with our middle school and high schoolers, that they can lend so much advice, I guess, Mm. from their perspective on what they need. I think that we need to actively involve them in the process. And I think that's what we're missing, especially with the technological world we live in. I mean, kids today know so much more than the veteran teacher, even than myself, about technology, how entertainment is a part of their world. And with that changing, I think that we're missing out on listening to them. I would definitely say that we've got involved in the process. And, and I think, you know, with the teacher shortage today, what do they see in a teacher? If they became a teacher, why, why are they not becoming teachers? Why is it something, a career that they're not looking to? What can we do to make them want to become teachers? Fortunately, had teachers that that influence really built the spark in me that said, wow, they're not only doing a job, but they're having fun doing it. We work harder when we enjoy what we're doing. And we've got to apply that same motto, if you will, to our students. What a phenomenal career you've had. It was not a smooth beginning at the start. And that's where I want to kind of end the program is there's a lot of first year new young teachers out there who are discouraged. What can you say to them as we wrap this program Mm -hmm. up to encourage them? Don't be afraid to ask. I am not nearly as experienced or seasoned as some of my colleagues But the only way that I'm going to get better and that I can really add value to the organization I'm with is by asking questions. If I don't ask and I don't believe in my voice, then I'm not going to have the opportunity to impact as many kids as I've really set out to impact. And so my advice to teachers would be, don't be afraid to ask. I think it's important that you seek out help before you start to criticize Because all too often, it's so easy. I think what happens, there's a transformation maybe of heart or of perspective that we don't ask. And so then we become very cynical. So I think it's important that, you know, these novice teachers ask. Don't be afraid to have their voice be heard, even if it's something you may not like to hear. And don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. Like my mom said, If you can't help yourself, you're not going to be able to help others. And helping yourself may be, in the end, if you've asked for help, seeking out another environment that may be best for you. Maybe you're not in the idealistic environment. And if you're in an environment where the teachers or the principal has a vision that doesn't really fit with what you know how to do, you're setting yourself up for failure. And maybe you need to just put yourself in another environment. But don't be afraid to ask. 